So after two tries, let's make it a third try and let's make it the final try, shall we? The New York Giants are 5-1. and one. Get up, stand up, and fucking get excited because this team is a team we haven't seen in 10 years. A team we haven't seen in a while. And for new Giant fans, they're getting used to winning slowly and slowly. Cut out the draft talk. Cut out all that other bullshit because we are a winning football team right now. You need to be in the moment. You need to be with this team. You can't be talking about quarterbacks and all this other shit yet. And I understand some people are critical of Daniel Jones and all these other things. But you know what? We're winning right now. Do we see the 49ers fans, you know, in the past talking about quarterbacks? Talking about different skill positions. But, you know, they started off 7-0 that one year. Does anyone remember that? Were they talking about quarterback then? No. And Jimmy G was slightly better than Daniel Jones, not much. But that's besides the point. The New York Giants, for a big portion of this game, and I'm saying this as a truth because it is, the New York Giants were overmatched during this game. There is no doubt about that. They were overmatched for three quarters. But guess what? Resiliency, the players fighting for the coaching staff and the coaching staff's adjustments put the New York Giants back into this game, and they fucking won. They beat Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson earned his first loss against the NFC East. He learned his, he earned his third loss against NFC in general. So, you know what? I personally don't care if Stephen A. Smith or any of those stupid pundits give us credit or not, because I know that the Giant fan base is loud, and I know that you know, the Giant fan base wants the team to prove them wrong constantly and constantly and constantly. You know, oh, this team's going to be 6-11. and 11. This team's going to be 7-10. and 10. That's what I thought. But guess what? We're, we're two wins away and lots of wins down the road from me being totally wrong. And I love it. I just love it. Uh, resiliency should be a top word when we're talking about this. But usually... And all this other stuff on these recap pods, we go through first thoughts, stats, offense prevails late, defense in the clutch, stock up, stock down, snap counts, playoffs, and coach of the year possibly. We'll definitely take a look into it. So first thoughts. Um, As I mentioned, the Giants were overmatched. It's not something to totally be afraid of saying because it's true. The Giants were overmatched for three quarters. The coaching got them back into the game, and momentum played a huge part of it. I think momentum and coaching honestly have some sort of weird coincidence, right? People refer to the Atlanta Braves of 2021 as a momentum team, but what they also were was a well-coached team. Jorge Soler, you know, he was good a few years ago, but, you know, just, just not someone who's a superstar, not someone who's good. You know, he's a guy who hits home runs but doesn't really hit for average. He's not that good. Uh, Adam Duvall, you can apply the same stereotype for in a lesser extent. Travis D'Arno, he got cut from the Mets, trade from the Mets, whatever the fuck the story was. But guess what? They won the World Series. I'm not saying we're winning the Super Bowl, but I'm just saying momentum and coaching have a weird coincidence. Ron Washington is a hell of a coach. Brian Snitker is a hell of a coach, even though they got busted in the, in the first round of the playoffs by the Phillies. But I'm just making that comparison to this Giants team. Because Wink and Mike Kafka and this whole coaching staff are working with under-talented guys. And they're making it work like we haven't seen coaching in years. It all started when the Giants got the ball back after 20-10. to 10. I don't know what happened on that sideline. But Daniel Jones took 
the offense down the field. And guess what? He scored a touchdown. He threw it to Daniel Bellinger. So that's 20-17, to 17, right? So now us Giant fans are like, okay, yes, yes. You know, it's a three-point game. So first and second down, they gain, you know, a few yards, about nine combined, meaning the Ravens. And then it's third and one. Like, oh, God, we got to stop them here. We got to stop them. So they don't stop them. It's first down, but it's called back for an illegal formation penalty on Ronnie Stanley. And I think Mark Andrews was a part of that as well. Not that I care. So third and six. Bad snap. Fumbled snap. Lamar Jackson throws it away. And the momentum shifting on the Giants side as the play goes on. Julian Love takes it back. He should be a Giant next year. He really should. You know, safety may be a long-term concern. But the way the Giants are with that safety position now, I don't really have too many concerns about it. Julian Love picks it off. He could have just stayed at, you know, the 40-yard line or wherever he intercepted it from and just taken a knee. But no, he returned it back to, like, the 13-yard line, and the Giants were in prime position to score. And let me say this about this Giants team. Their offense isn't good. I'm going to say that right now. But every time they're in the red zone, I think they do pretty well. You won't see too many third-down situations. This isn't the New York field goal giants that we've been seeing the last few years with Pat Shermer, Joe Judge, and all these different cats. When they get in the red zone, they are determined to score. Now, sometimes Kafka will get cute, but for what he's done this season, I appreciate it. They go into the red zone, pass interference on Marcus Peters, eliminates the possibility of an interception, Giants punched it in with Barkley. So, okay, now the defense is put in a position where they got to make a stop. They got to make a stop overall because you don't want them, you know, field goal territory, whatever. But guess what? You don't want them getting a touchdown. First down, man coverage play. Fabian Moreau, incomplete. It's behind Devin Duvernay, but guess what? Fabian Moreau made a nice play on the football. Second down. It wasn't even a blitz, folks. It was a four-man rush with an extra free rusher in Tay Crowder. Kayvon Thibodeau dips for all the people that were saying, you know, that he's a bust so far because he wasn't really impactful. Guess what? I think you need to change your mind because this is not some bum-ass team. This is the Ravens. I still take them very fucking seriously after this victory. He slaps that out of Lamar Jackson's hands. It keeps rolling and rolling and rolling, and the Giants recover the football. Leonard Williams. And then Saquon Barkley did an unselfish thing while the game was still technically rolling. What did he do, Alex? Well, he took the rush, and he could have went in the end zone and made us up by 11, also 30 points. But he didn't do that. He made sure that time ran out and that the Ravens would never get the ball back. And he slid. That shows you that he's not concerned about his own stats. He's concerned about the team. And now that some of these losing players that have been with us for a while, now that they have a coaching staff, they're playing for them. Saquon Barkley, maybe in the past with Judge and Shermer, maybe he would have just sat on the sideline with that shoulder injury. Instead, they taped it up. They bulked it up. And guess what? He went right out there, and he still played like a dog. So, you know what? As I said before, before we go into stats, I could give a shit if Stephen A. Smith or the PFF idiot pundits give us credit because I know what this team is. I know what they're capable of. 
They're capable of possibly winning 10 games. I don't think it's a joke anymore. We're at five wins. Why not five more? And look at the schedule down the line. We've beaten the Ravens, we've beaten the Packers, and we've beaten the Titans. All solid teams. So there's no reason this team can't have 9, 10, 11 wins possibly. Shouts to G Nation, by the way. So let's go into the statistics. Lamar Jackson, 17 for 32, 210 yards. A touchdown and interception each. Two sacks for 15 yards taken. 6.6 yards per throw. 58.6 quarterback rating and a passer rating of 71.1. Daniel Jones, 19 for 27, 173 yards, 6.4 yards per throw. Two touchdowns, no picks. Four sacks taken for 18 yards, 68.2 QBR, and a passer rating of 112.1. Here's where the Giants got killed the most. That was the running game. Kenyon Drake. 10 carries, 119 yards, a touchdown, 11.9 yards per carry. Lamar Jackson, 7 carries, 77 yards, 11 yards per carry. And J.K. Dobbins, well, he had 7 carries for 15 yards. Not much of a factor in the game, I must say. Saquon Barkley, 22 carries, 83 yards, 3.8 yards per carry, 1 touchdown. Daniel Jones, 6 carries, 6 yards. Matt Breida, 3 carries, negative 6 yards. Um... For the Baltimore receiving game, Mark Andrews, seven receptions, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Isaiah Likely, two catches, 30 yards. Demarcus Robinson, three receptions, 27 yards, two receptions, 21 yards. For Josh Oliver, Devin DuVernay, one reception for 14 yards. Reception for eight yards for Kenyon Drake. Tylen Wallace had a reception for four yards. And also, Patrick Ricard had a target, but that was the interception by Julian Love. Uh, For the Giants receiving game, it's the top two rookies. Daniel Bellinger, five receptions, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Wandale Robinson, three receptions, 37 yards, and a touchdown. Marcus Johnson, two receptions, 25 yards. Darius Slayton, one reception, 18 yards. Richie James, two receptions, 18 yards. Matt Breida, two receptions, 17 yards. Saquon Barkley, three receptions, 12 yards. And then David Sills, uh, one reception for eight yards. And I'm going to say before we get to the fumble category, I really do not consider... Daniel Jones's fumble to be an actual oh my god that's uh that's um that's a fumble you know this that and the other thing right because it really did I, I'm not gonna say that it shouldn't be on the statue but at you look at the game it really didn't count as anything it was towards the end of the half you know he was just being loose with the ball but the Ravens gained nothing from it so Chuck Clark covered that fumble um Lamar Jackson had two fumbles during the game one being the snap and also one being uh you know, the Kayvon fumble, and he lost one, he recovered one, the one he lost obviously was recovered by Leonard Williams, you take a look at defensive leaders, the Ravens had four sacks, six tackles for loss, and five quarterback hits, Calais Campbell had four tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and two quarterback hits, it was really the interior guys, not really much of the edge rushing guys, uh, Justin Matabuki, five tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and a quarterback hit, Travis Jones, four tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, and two quarterback hits. And then also Patrick Queen, seven tackles and a sack. Um, once again, it was just mostly that interior in the Giants. Two sacks, four tackles for a loss, two quarterback hits, also multiple pressures. And I'm not going to say the Ravens didn't pressure their quarterback, but uh, the Giants definitely laid some pressure on Jackson. And, and, you know, it was like a second away where there would be a hand on him, but he threw the ball out already. Um Dexter Lawrence, he keeps putting it on three weeks in a row with a sack. This guy seriously needs to be on leaderboards of 
best defensive interior lineman in the league. And I'm dead serious when I say that. I never thought I would say that, but it needs to be done. Because, you know, Royce Newman, he's okay, all right? Lucas Patrick, he's okay. I mean, overall, two teams from the AFC North, that's two weeks in a row. Against Kevin Zeitler, who is one of the best pass-protecting interior offensive linemen in the game still, and he gets a sack on him, on Lamar Jackson? You got to give him his respect. Gavon Thibodeau, three tackles, a sack, and a forced fumble. Jihad Ward played a really good first half, and I'm going to try to mimic his uh, celebration. I think it's something like this. I like his celebration. Either way, he played really well in run defense in the first half. Two tackles, two tackles for loss. Um, and then O'Shane Zimmer has a tackle and a tackle for a loss for him. He set the edge really well on one play. I think it was uh, Dobbins, Dobbins, who was a running back. But for Thibodeau, I know a lot of Giant fans, at least some on Facebook, have been unhappy with him. Oh, he's a bust. Uh, you know, lazy. Looks really good right now. Looks really good right now. That take looks swell. Because he has more pressures than Trayvon Walker, who's played all the weeks. And Thibodeau has played four games, I think? Let's see. Cowboys, Bears, Packers, and then Ravens. He's played four games. And he has more pressures than the first overall pick. But you mean to tell me that he he's a bust already? Okay. All right, bud. Um, let's go into the offense, and let's talk about the offense. Actually, no. We got to go to team stats. I, I'm, I'm out of my mind here because the Giants are winners. Um, the Giants had 18 first downs, and the Ravens had 23. 11 first downs for the New York Giants in the passing game. 13 passing first downs for the Ravens. 5 rushing first downs for the Giants. 10 rushing first downs for the Ravens, two first downs from penalties from the Giants, uh, one of them obviously being the pass interference, and there was one other one I forget. Uh, third down efficiency, as I said before, maybe I said it before, maybe I didn't, I think the Giants have been better on third down and in the red zone than they have in the last few years with a bad offense, and their offense hasn't been good the last few years, however you want to rank it, whatever, since 2016. I think they're on a mission. I think they know they're not efficient. I think they know that they're not a very good offense, and there's still some kinks to be worked out on the offensive line, the skill players, the quarterback, whatever you want to talk about. But when when they are in that red zone, they cannot be fucked with. I don't know what the stats are in terms of red zone touchdown percentage, but the Giants have to be up in at least the top top 15. And I know they don't get there too often, but the Giants are on a mission. The Giants are on a mission. And it's better than what we've seen in years past. And I go to third down. They were 7 for 14 on third down. That is excellent compared to what we've seen in the past. That's 50%. And then the defense, when they were getting destroyed in the running game for the first three quarters, 4 for 10. 4 for 10 for the Ravens. So shout-outs to Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka. No fourth downs for either team. Giants had 62 total plays, 58 for the Ravens. 238 total yards for the Giants, 406 for the Ravens. Total drives, the Giants had 10, the Ravens had 9. 3.8 yards per play for the Giants, 7 for the Ravens. Penalties, the Giants had 3 for 25 yards, and the Ravens had 10 for 74 yards. A bit costly. I'm not going to consider the Giants having a turnover, but for stats-wise, yeah, they had a turnover. Uh, and then 2 for the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, the fumble and the interception. And then time possession, the Giants had 31-52. And 28-08 for the Baltimore Ravens. Giants were 3-for-5 in the red zone. And the Ravens were 1-for-3. I thought I would mention that. 
But let's talk about the offense. Let's talk about the offense real quick. I'm going to take a sip and we can go into it. Let's talk about Daniel Jones. So he really wasn't efficient. Wasn't really getting much done in the first half. I think we could all agree with that. I mean, they had a, a good drive where Gary Brightwell lifted them to like the 47-yard line. That was an awesome kick return by Brightwell. I mean, I really don't expect too much from him. Um, when it comes to special teams, I never really thought he would be this great kick returner, but I think he was that way in college. So maybe I should rise my expectations a little bit, but he had a nice return, 46 yards, no penalties, which is a shocker. And I think the special teams unit honestly is getting better every week. Um, then you have Daniel Jones. He takes him down the field, third and four. Guess what? Touchdown Wandale Robinson. Um, as I said, in the first half, he really wasn't good. But it seems like, once again, he turns it on when the Giants are down. And it was 20-10. to 10, And then, as I talked about earlier, he just led them down the field. And for two straight drives, he did what he needed to do. Whether it was the defense getting it or, you know, whatever the case was. So, I want to read you guys some stats. Um some splits for Daniel Jones that be and you guys might be surprised you might be you know wowed you might be not plussed you might be not phased so if you can guess when does Daniel Jones have the most success well I'm going to tell you already right now it's when he's behind it's when he is putting himself in a position to put the team up on his back um so I'll just read it out because I'm tired of not giving spoilers. He hasn't had a passing touchdown when the Giants have had the lead or tied this season. Never. Not this season. He's had one touchdown statistically while they were ahead. And that was the Bears game, I believe. Because it was like 7-3 or 7-6 and he ran for the touchdown on the bootleg. And nice job Kafka and all these guys for taking advantage of that. So, if you look at his stats, most of that shit comes from behind. Uh, you know, he's got the most passing yards in terms of his stats and the splits. It comes from behind. 696, 68.7 completion percentage, five touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, as long as pass was 65, obviously that was to Sterling Shepard. He does take the most sacks when they are behind. Um, his passer rate, 97. And his rushing touchdowns, I mean, he's got the most rushing yards when they're down. He also has the, you know, one touchdown when they were down. So, I mean, you know, facilitate it that way. Talk about it that way. Whatever you guys want to do. But your determination for the stats, he's best when he's behind. And that's something I think I could live with maybe for this season. Is that he's good when this team is behind. Because... Again, resiliency. It's the theme of this Giants team, resiliency. It's not offense. It's not defense. I mean, defense a little bit more than offense if you want to go into stats and categories and all that shit. But, but, resiliency. Dale Jones has resiliency. Saquon Barkley has resiliency. This team has resiliency. So, um, you know, he's just been a tough warrior over the last few weeks. I got to give my credits to him. Has he been playing all-star level? No. But you know what? We're getting wins. We're 5-1, and one, so we don't have to focus too much on the negative. 
Saquon Barkley with only game under 100 scrimmage yards this year, a part in the Giants' second half resurgence. Yeah, they started carving the ball to him a little bit, you know, with the five-yard carries, the seven-yard carries, and, you know, eventually also the touchdown. And, you know, I find it a good thing, but a bad thing in a sense. The bad thing is, okay, he only got 83 rushing yards, you know, 3.8 yards per carry, but how many teams would have their worst rushing performance how many teams would take their worst rushing performance from their number one running back is 83 yards i mean that's the worst performance he's had all year and i'm not necessarily on him because the offensive line you know they were getting manhandled a little bit on the interior by the ravens but i'm pretty sure that's the least amount of rushing yards he's had maybe actually no i think it was in green bay or against uh against the bears Maybe even against the Panthers, but, you know, to say that 95 scrimmage yards is your worst performance this year, I mean, that's a that's a pretty impressive thing for Saquon Barkley. And it just shows he's also maxed out his uh, total from last year. I think he had like 500 rushing yards. He now is over 600, so he's getting to 1,000, whether you fucking like it or not. Um, the fact that the Giants have two really good rookies one's potential one's already proven i mean daniel bellinger the reason why he's not recognized around the league as this great tight end or a good tight end i mean he's not flashy he's not travis kelsey but what i will say is this he is the best tight end that the giants have had in easily 10 years he is what we wanted caden smith to be a solid blocker and a solid pass catcher a fourth-round pick from San Diego State who didn't even get a lot of attention in the passing game is getting that here with the Giants. And we didn't even think he was going to get that you know, much of reps, get that big of an impact. He has been great for the Giants. I'm going to say he's been great for the Giants because he's been the security blanket for Daniel Jones. And maybe you guys can take this as cheesy. But the Giants posted on their social media, who would you call if there was an emergency? He said Daniel Jones. They obviously have some sort of a connection. And I find that as a good thing. So Daniel, all these people, and I'm not saying don't buy jerseys or don't buy this jersey, that jersey, whatever. There's a lot of people buying Thomas jerseys. There's a lot of people buying Kayvon jerseys. That's great and all. We need more people buying Daniel Bellinger jerseys. I'm going to say it right now. Daniel Bellinger movement right here. Wandale Robinson, I've had my doubts about him. Because of his body, because of his shiftiness, because of his ability to stay healthy. But you know what? He did have one drop. He did have a key drop. But you know what? He showed a little bit of what he can be in this offense. Is he an outside guy? Fuck no. But if he could be a slot guy and the Giants, you know, within the next year or two, get some outside receive help, receiving help, we, we're going to look like a very good offense. And if he can stay healthy as well... Because I don't think he had the injury bug in college, but he has shiftiness as a former running back, as a very speedy wide receiver. I mean, he's my height, but he's about 30-ish, 40-ish pounds more than myself, and I'm a very skinny guy. But regardless of the point, he showed flashes, and that's what we need to see because he is a second-round pick, and that's what the Giants invested in him. For the offensive line, let's talk about it a little bit real quick. Um, Andrew Thomas, you know, they get PFF gave him a, a very average grade. I don't get it. 
Um, but Andrew Thomas is still a very good tackle. He's the best tackle in the NFL, I'm going to say it right now. Uh, Evan Neal, man, I was a little weary, and maybe I said this on the preview pod. I was a little weary of what Bobby Johnson said, basically attaching to scheme rather than player. And I'm like, I don't know, because that gave me Mark Colombo vibes. And, you know, that's basically been the coaches the last few years of the offensive line, valuing scheme over players. And, you know, I don't think I'm not an offensive line guru, but I don't know that you need to be too aggressive in your pass sets for this type of offense. I mean, Evan Neal went back to some vertical sets under the direction of the coaching staff in this game, and he looked flawless. He had some really good reps. So if you can keep this going, if this is the best game he played against some decent talent, you go to Jacksonville, you face Josh Allen. You go to Seattle. I don't know what edge rushers they have. It could be pretty much a good road from here. It could be a good path from here. He's going to face some really good guys. But you know what? If he's liking vertical sets, if they're better for him, and if he's playing at a good level, and the offense is still functioning like an offense, or at least in the way they want it to, keep him at vertical sets. Is for the offensive line in terms of the interior, Azuda wasn't great. I mean, run blocking was good, but the one play he was bad on was the stunt up the middle. Uh, that was when Daniel Jones got sacked in the red zone. Uh, so there's that. Glowinski, meh. Uh, Feliciano, not very good. And Bredesen, I thought he played well. You know, did some key stuff in the running game and just... I thought he was well as, you know, was well. That's not really a great word to use, but I thought he was pretty good as a pass protector. So he might be something as a depth piece. I don't think he's long-term, though. I'm going to take a sip. We'll talk about the defense. So let's talk about the defense. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're going over negatives. We're going over positives. Whatever. With that being said... With that being said, the Giants had legitimate trouble against the Ravens on defense in the first three quarters. They could not stop Kenyon Drake for nothing. I mean, you know, it's weird to see 17 in the backfield. And a lot of people take it as, oh, it's DuVernay. Oh, it's Bateman. Oh, it's this guy. It's Prochet. No, that was Kenyon Drake. And he exploded on us. So there's that. Lamar Jackson had a few nice runs. I don't think he got to the Giants too much as people would value it. But the one thing that also burned us was Mark Andrews. Now, I personally, in my opinion, I didn't know why they stuck to a zone approach when, you know, covering these tight ends. You know, uh, there was some safety help on him. You know, Moreau covered him for the touchdown. Um, You know, I'm not going to blame Moreau. I mean, that's just a really good ball, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but, you know, Mark Andrews is the top-tier tight end in the league. I'm not going to apologize for saying that the Giants struggled because they were a top-tier team. And I'm not going to apologize for saying this. The Giants are not at that level yet. They're not at that level of football, and they're not at the level of talent they are. But we won this game, and I'm happy enough, and I'm just stating some facts as we go. Um, So Mark Andrews, he was doubled, and I like Wink's matter-of-time adjustment. What was the matter-of-time adjustment in the key time? That was doubling Mark Andrews on the forced fumble that ended the game. Because he was he would stare out of his read right at Mark Andrews, get open, throws the ball. That's a first down. That moves the chains for the Ravens. They recognized it on the last drive, 
and they won because of the defensive adjustments and all these other different things. Kayvon Tibbs with the first sack, forced fumble, forced fumble. I can't even talk. First forced fumble. You know what? Challenge for all y'all out there. Say that. First forced fumble. Say that five times. That's a tongue twister. First forced fumble. First forced fumble in the NFL for Tibbs. And I actually predicted he'd get his first sack against the Jaguars. Well, guess what? I was a week late. I was a week late. I'm happy for it because you know what? Gives him time to get more sacks. And Patrick McCarry, he's a solid depth tackle. They took Morgan Moses out of the game due to injury. Uh, Ronnie Stanley had to play more than anticipated because of uh, Morgan Moses' injury. They put McCarry in. Guess what? Tibbs dips around the edge, swipes the ball out, and the Giants win the game. So, shout-outs to Kayvon Tibbs. I talked about him earlier. If I didn't already, I'm going to restate it because I don't give a fuck. Dexter Lawrence, third straight week with the sack. Guy is so impressive in the running game. He gets so many double teams and pass protection. And he beat one of the best, and I'm going to say it because we had him on our team and we know it, one of the best pass protecting guards in the NFL for a sack. He maneuvered around him and sacked Lamar Jackson, one of the speediest, most mobile guys in the NFL. So you know what? I know I don't care too much about pundits giving attention, but Dexter Lawrence is a guy that people should be game planning against. And maybe when we get Aziz Ojolari back and we have Williams healthy and we have Tibbs healthy and we have Dex healthy, we could actually win with front four and have some good coverage on the back end. Now, obviously, that's not going to be the scenario too much because guess what? Wink loves blitzing. And I love the aggressiveness that he's doing with less rather than being conservative with more. That's just my opinion. Um, Not a ton of Jalen Smith. I mean, you know, there were situations... They use a lot of three safety sets with Belton, with Love, with McKinney. So that was their way of stopping uh, the run or at least attempting to do it. And I said it this game, uh, about this game really, is that they would probably need to stick a little more to safeties. They need to play with speed. And if you look at the linebacking core, other than Tay Crowder, not even Tay Crowder, because I don't think he's that much of a speedy guy. And Jalen Smith, I think he's more power hitting. Micah McFadden is the only speedy kind of linebacker you have in that core, other than Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, who are special teams guys. So they needed to play with three safety sets, and Martindale did a nice job on that. And then Julian Love with the first interception on the season. So happy. So happy for Julian Love. He needs to stay here past this year. I don't care if he's a role player. You keep the guys around that are very good in the locker room. That's just my opinion. Think what y'all want to think. But Julian Love has special place in my heart along with all of the New York Giants because why not? And he's also a Notre Dame cat, so I'm very, very happy about that. Um, So let's go to the stock up, stock down. Uh, Daniel Jones, Julian Love, Saquon Barkley, exterior O-line, Adoree Jackson. I thought he played a really good game. He didn't give up any receptions, had a few pass deflections. Um, You know, yeah. You know, he had a good game. Daniel Bellinger, Dexter Lawrence. Uh, I want to see a little bit more of Leo. Not that he didn't have an impact this game, but I would like to see maybe, you know, a key stop by Leo. And that's, I'm not saying that he don't do his job because, you know, that's what Dalvin Tomlinson used to do. He used to put himself in position for his teammates to make plays. And Leo probably did that if you look at the film this game. Uh, stock down, I would probably say the interior O-line and maybe some of the linebacking core. 
Uh, definitely some stuff we need to work on. And then before we get to the last segment, I want to talk about snap counts. Just real quickly, you look at the offensive snap counts. I have them somewhere. Ben Bredesen, Daniel Jones, Mark Lewinsky, Evan Neal, and Andrew Thomas all played 100%. Daniel Bellinger, 94% of the snaps. That's fucking epic. Um, that just tells you how much they love this kid. John Feliciano, 94% because of the injury he sustained. 88% for Saquon Barkley. 69% for Darius Lane. So he honestly should... You know, we're going to talk about that in just a second. We'll leave that. Uh, Marcus Johnson, 62%. Chris Myrick, 42%. David Sills, 35%. Richie James, 34%. Matt Breida, 25%. Wendell Robinson, 23%. Tanner Hudson, 12%. Tyree Phillips, who they use as the extra tackle, 11%. Josh Azuda, 6%. Xavier McKinney, 5%. That's because he was technically the running back or the blocking back on the kneel downs. And then... um, Gary Brightwell, one snap. That was the three-back set when they had the throw to Matt Breida, the right side, uh, 2% of the snaps. Take a look at the defensive side of the football. Leo did not have a pitch count, but you look at 100%. Fabian Moreau, Adoree Jackson, and Julian Love. Uh, Dexter Lawrence at 97%. Funny, he's number 97. Leonard Williams, 92%. Well, he would have had 92 had Michael Strahan not been here. Um, but 92%, Kayvon Tibbs, 83%. I think that's probably the most snaps he's earned in weeks. Uh, 71% for Dane Belton, 68% for Tay Crowder, 64% for Nick Williams. I mean, he's impressing this coaching staff as a rotational guy. Probably a little more than Justin Ellis. I, I don't think Justin Ellis is used for much. Uh, O'Shane Zimmon is 56%, Jalen Smith, 54%, 46% for Jihad Ward, uh, 22% for Justin Ellis, 20% for Taman Fox, only 17% for... Uh, Darnie Holmes, which, you know, it could be telling, but at the same time, they used a lot of three safety sets. So they could have had Belton in the slot. They could have had McKinney or Love in the slot. So I'm not going to take too much out of that. And then uh, the guy they activated, Ryder Anderson. Uh, they activated him from the practice squad. 8% of the snaps, 5 in total. So, you know, maybe he, he's... He was an interesting guy to activate, given that no defensive linemen were really going to miss the week, but I guess they needed some help with the running game and knew he would kind of be a a guy for that. So let me ask this question to y'all. In the comments, on YouTube, or in the the podcast realm of Spotify, Podbean, and all those different uh, platforms, would you feel okay with this being the offensive personnel for the rest of the year? Because personally, I would. I'm not even mad, and I said this on the Boys in the Big Old podcast that we actually had in the afternoon. It was a very good show, so if you want to rewatch, go rewatch. Definitely rewatch. Um, but what I will say is this. What I will say is this. I, I I have no more emotion invested in Kadarius Tony. If he plays, he plays. If he does well, he does well. If he sucks, he sucks. It's not a skin off my back. Kenny Galladay, if he plays, he plays. If he doesn't play, he doesn't play. Those guys are not really meaningful to this Giants team anymore. The Giants don't really need them. Now, do they need upgrades over the guys they have? Fuck yeah. But that's not going to be solved this year. That's not going to be solved this year. It's going to be draft picks, free agents, all these different you know, ways of getting guys. It's going to be solved next year. But if you ask me, would you be okay with the starting offensive line we have now, I would see where Lemieux is. I would see where Nick Gates is in his rehab. 
you know, maybe you can make some maneuvering and adjustments. But if I'm talking skill position players, hey, Alex, would you be okay with your wide receivers being Richie James, Darius Slayton, uh, Marcus Johnson, and Wondell Robinson, along with your tight ends being Hudson, Bellinger, and Myrick? I would say, you know what, for the rest of the year, because we've been winning games, yeah. And you know what? Some of these guys, even though it, it's you know a win-now situation, they can make cases to stick around next year. Uh, Richie James can definitely do that. David Sills could do that, even though he hasn't been great. He's been average at best. Um, you know, some of these guys can make cases to stick around next year. So you know what? I'll be fine with the. I'll be fine with this core as long as we see some sort of progression from the guys that we need. To see progression from you know if Daniel Jones can make a you know a little bit more of a, an attempt to go over 200 yards I will definitely be happy Saquon if he continues being Saquon okay if Bredesen you know he could step up his game a little bit okay if Evan Neal can do more vertical pass sets and progress okay um if Wandale Robinson can stay healthy and progress okay uh, you know if the tight ends can keep being the tight ends okay you know I mean Marcus Johnson he's likely not here next year but he can try to make a case for himself to stay on the roster. So let's go over two more things. Let's talk about playoffs. I'm not going to get fully bred deep into this, but I think that the Giants in these next two games need to go one and one at best. Maybe you guys heard me on the recap of the Bears game. I said the Giants needed to go two and two in these next few games. And that was the Packers game, the Ravens game, the Jaguars game, the Seahawks game. Three of those were on the road, and they obviously are on the road. You know, the next two games are on the road. So it is a, it is a tough um, battle for the New York Giants in terms of flying and all these different things and the jet lag. Um, what I will say is this. We won those first two games that I thought we were going to lose. So if we can beat the Ravens, if we can beat the Green Bay Packers, maybe drop one or even win both of these next two games, I mean, you definitely got to start talking about playoffs. And... I said on one of the podcast episodes, whether what podcast, I don't know, but you can't over-invest in this year. You still have to assess the needs for next year. While keeping your key guys and your locker room guys, you got to make adjustments to your roster like O-line, linebacker, corner. Um, wide receiver is a definite one. Whatever else you need. But what I will say is this. If they come out one and one you know, I will be a little disappointed if they don't win against the Seahawks or against the Jaguars, both or whatever, you know, I'll still be a little disappointed. But on the schedule, I'm looking at teams, and I'm not overlooking them, but I think we can win. Let's take a look at it. The remaining schedule. I think we beat the Jaguars. I thought the Ravens were better than the Jaguars. Statistically and record-wise, I think they are better than the Jaguars. Um, The Seahawks, I think they're 3-3, three and three, something along those lines. I think they could beat the Seahawks and Geno Smith. Um, you look at the bye week. The Texans, I think they could beat them. They have one win on the season. If you could, you know, pressure Davis Mills, that's not a great team. That's why they have one win on the season. Detroit Lions, their offense is pretty good. It's not Lamar Jackson offense. It's a good offense, but their defense is terrible. So if we can make adjustments at the bye, I would be really happy. Dallas is winnable. I'm not picking us to win against Dallas, though. I know a lot of people are excited and, you know, predict us to win on Thanksgiving. I personally don't think we will. Um, Washington, I think that's winnable. 
I think that is absolutely winnable. I think we take that game. I think we could definitely take one of these games against Philly. I think the one home game after Washington, hell yeah, I think we take that game. Um, Washington, the second time, I feel like they could get a sneaky win on us, but also other guys are calling for a sweep. So I'm going to leave that as maybe an L. For right now, the Vikings are definitely challenging on Saturday night football. Actually, no, not Saturday night football. Saturday day football because they don't want us playing on Christmas for some reason. Then the Colts. I mean, they're 3-2-1, I think. I think that's their record. You know, similar record to us, not really. But we can beat them. And then the Eagles at home. So if I go my predictions right now, um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Seven wins at it. Maybe even six. Let's just say the Giants drop one of these next two. That's 11 wins. That should get you, honestly, in the playoffs. Now, what I will say is this. We'll talk about it probably more in the coming weeks with the development of this team. But they need to win against their rivals. Dallas, if you could try to, you know, I, I can't say lose against them because that would be improper. But if you can be competitive with them, okay. Um, you know, obviously it wouldn't be ideal if we lost them twice, but if you can make sure that they're beat down and get the last win, that would be great. But we would really have to root for a lot of different teams to go against Dallas and beat them and make sure they're beat down in the bottom of the division with Washington, because I don't think Washington's going anywhere. And then if you get one of these wins, maybe even two of these wins against Philly, you know, they're a pretty good team. I mean, they're undefeated. You could win the division but also, you could also have a wild card spot easy as well. Because you, let's take a look around the league. I mean, uh, let's take a look at the standings as of right now for the NFL. Um, so, obviously, we know our division. Vikings, they got their division of right now. We have a better record than the Packers. Uh, that's Their record's 3-3. Three and three. Tampa Bay Bucks. well, guess what? Them and the Falcons are both 3-3. Three and three. And this is just as of right now. The 49ers, they lead their division. And they're over the Rams who are 3-3. Three and, three, and they're over the Seahawks who are 3-3. Three and three. So if we were to play today in the playoffs, I believe we would host a home game against the 49ers. And I think that'd be a winnable game. Obviously, that's going to change over the course of the season. But, hey, you know what? We'll see. We'll see. And, and I know people are going to get into the coach of the year discussion. So I will talk about that. The Giants are having real progress. I don't want no fake first place, by the way, we were 5-8. and eight. No, 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 no. Not like fucking 2020 was, you know, a fake season, the COVID season, the fake progression. No. I want first, if I want first place, I want a winning record first place. Not this bullshit. But what I will say is this. The Giants have made real progression. And I think you can't compare anything to the progress that Brian Dable has made. Now, obviously, there's another 5-1 team that's kind of rebuilding or retooling. That's uh, the Minnesota Vikings, but they have some core pieces there. They have more co core pieces, and they have more talent, in my opinion, than the New York Giants. What I will counter that, well, actually, no, I, I won't counter that with anything, but nobody can sit here and tell me that Brian Dable should not be coach of the year. You can't tell me that because Nick Sirianni, yeah, he's, what, 6-0 and to start. That's great and all, but he has the pieces. They built a very good defense over there. And I said that they were going to win the division coming into the year. Not something I want to be right on, but he's doing it with the pieces that he should be doing it with. 
Brian Dable, everybody expected this team to be, what, 4-13, and 3-12, and 12, fucking, not 3-12, and 12, that didn't make any sense, 3-14, and 14, fucking, you know, 5-12. and 12. Everyone expected this team to be terrible, and he's going over all of this, and Joe Shane as well, and the coaches, they're all going over this with the pieces that they really didn't bring in. And once, one thing I will say is this as well, and I brought this up, nobody's talking about it. But I think this should be talked about more when we talk about this whole Dable shit for Coach of the Year. Wick Martindale should be considered for AP Assistant Coach of the Year. Brian Dable, I believe, earned that a few years ago. Um, let's see. Let's look up Don Martindale and let's actually see. Let's actually see if he ever earned that. No, he never earned that award. So if he puts his defense in the fucking top ten with average talent, he's got. To definitely be, he's got to definitely be on that list. He's got to be on that list. He's got to be on that list for AP Assistant Coach of the Year. Like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when live stream pops, video drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Peace out, guys. See you later. Stay cool. Go Giants. We are 5-1. See you for the preview pod. (laughs) 